Max is a movie made with caps locks on. You will not be able to stop talking like this after seeing Mad Max Fury Road. Here's the thing about Mad Max Fury Road. The first thing you see is Max looking like a member of Mastodon, eating a two-headed lizard and talking desolate shit about the future while looking out at a sandscape full of nothing but hate and maybe like one or two other two-headed lizards. Sure, there are voiceovers and little snippets of radio telling you that everything blew up and some mandatory old stock footage of trees getting blasted by a nuclear shockwave, because that's gotta be here, because here's trick one. You're watching a Mad Max movie, and like everything else in the 1980s, that's got to start with the clear message that you and everyone you loved will be incinerated in a ball of nuclear hellfire. Or, I'm, can you, you can't hear the kids in the background, can you? A little bit. Ever so faintly, but I don't think it matters. Should I do the old man thing and I open up the window and be like, get off my lawn, because those are my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'll be right back. Let me go get Stop yelling while I'm recording a hyperfixation where my friends come on to our show and tell us about things that excite them for 30 to 45 minutes or more because the timer is a lie my name is roma i use the they and them pronouns and today i am joined by vera hi i'm vera i use she her pronouns hell yeah and also co-hosting with me today is jakey that's me i use the them i use the him and I'm sitting in the back seat this time. I get to drive the car. I'm an uninsured podcast driver. I have a license, though. A license to talk a lot into a microphone. The only one you need. The only one I need. There's no podcast cops, is there? Ah. Uh, <laughs> <Is that? laughs> hmm. We'll investigate. Anyway. <laughs> Where we're going, you're not going to need insurance. <laughs> Hell yeah. In fact, it's probably Hell better yeah. you don't have it on these roads. <laughs> I honestly, I just need that that hell yeah eagle sound TikTok noise like inserted there. Um. <laughs> so, Vera. Yep. We've made it happen. It is time. We are here to discuss your hyperfixation. Oh hell yeah! That- oh oh hell yeah! Hell yeah! And what is this hyperfixation? This hyperfixation is. 2015 cinematic masterpiece Mad Max Fury Road. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I am so hyped. I've seen the movie like once. I think back in like 2015. But it has a really like special place in my heart as like the badass movie. But that's kind of where it's sort of sat because I didn't think about it hard enough. And I'm excited to now in 2023 think about it harder. Yeah, that's this is great because I thought about it 
I think perhaps too hard. I um I watched it in <laughs> watched it in theaters in uh, 2015. Uh, immediately fell in love with it and tried to make as many excuses to go and watch it more times with different friends just to make more people see it. I think before oh, it left yeah. cinemas here, I saw it like five times. Um, and then. 2017 rolled around. I was doing uni. I did my uh, honors thesis um, on philosophy and decided that I was going to talk about Mad Max Fury Road and a whole bunch of dead people and what they thought about things. And so I watched the movie, I think, like 20 times over the course of 2017, just for like close study and reading of it. You are so powerful. (laughs) Truly, I am unstoppable. You are so goddamn powerful. I can't. That's amazing. So you went to school for philosophy? Yeah, yeah. I did a um did an arts degree with philosophy as my major. Uh, and then I went and did an honors year where I wrote my own little contribution to the field and talked about uh philosophies of hope and like this uh mid twentieth century uh Jewish political thought around like messianic hope and Marxism and how that kind of hope is shown in post apocalyptic movies specifically cinematic masterpiece Mad Max Fury Road. That is incredible. That is so cool. You know, it's, it's, it's doing this podcast for like almost like 30 to almost 40 episodes by now. It, I never, I always just kind of baseline expect the hyperfixation just to be something that a person's just excited about. Like this is just the thing that tickles my brain worms the best. But like when it gets to that sort of like high collegiate level, of like intense, deeper thinking. It's like, oh my, oh my, I never, I did not anticipate this. And so I'm very excited to like really get into the nitty gritty of everything. Um, you know, um, this is going to be sick. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it got to the point where if I weren't so crippled by ADHD, I mm-hmm. was potentially going to be doing a PhD, just expanding and talking about not just Fury Road, but the whole kind of genre, but like still Fury Road would probably be a central part of it, and part of it would have been trying to get that article published. So yeah, I, I got a lot of thoughts on this. I got it. I got the brand from the movie tattooed on my back. I have far too much of this movie in my life. Oh, that's amazing. That is incredible. Oh my goodness. So the movie came out in 2015. Were you into Mad Max movies prior to Fury Road coming out? Uh, if I'm completely honest, I haven't seen any of the other movies. I well, I saw the first one. Um, it was a like she dodgy TV recording of it, you know, like the DVR kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it wasn't bad. I I do like the movie. The sound editing was kind of dodgy because like, and this is a fun fact that we can start with. Um, so mm-hmm. the director George Miller uh worked did I think it was I'm gonna just double check this, but he's got like medical background from uni, like he did, uh roadside medical like uh i'm just gonna track this down so i'm not just talking out of my ass uh-huh. but he's got a um medic like he's a former medical doctor uh and so a lot of the knowledge that he has in these you know all the accidents and the brutality that you see in these films come from a place of somebody who actually like studied um you know he studied medicine medicine in new south wales uh and mad max the first one I'm pretty sure he funded that by doing 
you know, medical work. Uh, like he just, let me just track this down. I'm going to actually put my like facts where my mouth, no, hang on. Oh yeah. He did, um, he did like emergency room work to partially, you know, fund the film. So there's this really cool. cool place where, you know, it is kind of a budget Australian pulp film and it shows in some of the, you know, areas like the sound being the sound quality being all over the place. Like you can sometimes barely hear the dialogue over the background noise. Um, so you know, the movies I have, you know, a lot of love for them for movies that I've never really seen, but Fury Road, I saw with no context of the other movies, no understanding of anything other than, you know, Mel Gibson's in the, in them. And that makes it a little bit hard to want to go back and watch. <laughs> but, Fair. but yeah, no, uh, it's just Fury Road all day, every day. Hell yeah. I feel like you answered most of the questions I would have asked, like uh, what, what, where this hyperfixation started, where it took you. Uh, Jakey, <laughs> I need help. <laughs> My brain fried. Oh. Did your brain fry too? No. Oh, no. <laughs> But if your brain's fried, and my brain's fried, who's driving oh, no. the war rig? <laughs> no, I'm strapped up front. Like, yeah. all, we, we took you out of the back seat. We strapped you to the yeah. hood. Yeah. I'm the hood ornament. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, we strapped him to the, to the hood and just sprayed their mouth chrome. Yeah. We're just, we're just going to see what happens from here. This is probably going to be the thumbnail. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um specifically because that one guy is in the movie who sprays his mouth chrome and starts screaming and that resonates with me. That stays in my mind for some reason. Oh, the witness me thing is a whole fantastic bit. Um Absolutely. Um honestly, I feel like we've covered a, a really good like basis. Um, and I feel like it's a good time to just bring in the the timer and just let you go hard on the paint. Does that sound like a good plan? <laughs> There's a timer? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, it's really honestly. Through this. So let me. Well, it's more of a metaphorical the, timer. <laughs> okay, well, cool. Because when, when I pitched the podcast, I was like, well, I, you know, I, most people probably want like a digestible size, like. 45 minute to an hour podcast so i you know i made it to where you can info dump for 30 to 45 minutes and then i didn't it was a combination of i didn't want to tell people to stop being excited like hey like your time's up um but most people just like you know oh hey how's my time and i'm like oh you're good and then uh next thing you know three hours has gone by and uh so i went from i'm moonshot's biggest liar because i can't keep my podcast within 30 to 45 minutes to uh now it's just the funny thing that i keep on the podcast just as a fun joke um okay a funny little haha but you don't actually have to listen to it <laughs> you don't have to obey the timer it will we'll get but to the point begins. where I'll, I'll ask you how over the timer i am not not how i'm doing for time <laughs> <That's> <laughs> oh, yeah, there the we plan. go and the timer's in three two one go <laughs> okay so um i think the funniest thing to start with in terms of just info dumping about this is just a completely tangential thing on the basis of the whole chrome shtick um i back in 2015 and 2016 was playing 
quad ball at the time known as Quidditch because fuck turfs, whatever. Um, I was captain of the Newcastle Unis team and Fury Road was my entire personality and the team kind of just went on board for that to the point where whenever anyone did anything fantastic on pitch, everyone on the sidelines would just be bellowing witness. Um, we Ayo. had somebody show up with a like silver food spray, so it wasn't you know chrome because we couldn't make we had to make it safe. But whenever anyone yeah. did some glorious shit and then they ran off to like sub off, somebody in the sub box would spray their mouth silver, and it was ah, <laughs> that is so stuff. cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, didn't find that though. I think one of my favorite things about Fury Road that kind of just ties this whole thing together is the way that there's so much detail in this movie and everything is so clearly thought about, but at the same time, it's, it's overwhelming in a way that you can completely follow. Like everything is shot in the center of the frame. You don't have to dart to any corners of the frame to see what's going on. Whatever you need to pay attention to is right in the middle. And that means that they can just squeeze so much stuff in because they don't have to worry about uh, audiences missing things because it's all center frame. You know where you need to be looking. You know what you're seeing. Anything else that you notice is just an extra detail. Um, like, I when I rewatched it last night, I've, I noticed things that, you know, in probably close to 30 viewings of this movie, I still hadn't noticed. And it's... Uh, at the start of the movie, where we see Max looking like this feral animal about to eat a two-headed lizard, they've foreshadowed his whole character arc just in the scraps that he has tied onto him. Like He's got on his left shoulder, the same way that he does towards the end of the movie, this, I don't know what it, like the medical tubing that you'd use for blood transfusions. He's got that oh. tied, like, attached to his shoulder, even though he's alone, he's still got the stuff for this medical equipment. And then the themes of the movie to tie into this are all, it's subtle, but extremely obvious at the same time. Like it's very obviously a movie about reclaiming your body and about autonomy and about, you know, freedom and escape from patriarchy and control and power and hierarchy. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's done really subtly. Um, we don't, you know, it doesn't, you don't, they don't tell you it's about this. They give you little things where, for example, like there's the obvious arcs with Furiosa and the wives, but then Max, his entire character arc is incredible because he's the protagonist in a Mad Max film with filled with cars and explosions and guns. You're expecting this action hero, but his whole character arc is completely like opposite. He starts the movie, you know, captured by Immortan Joe and his war boys and reduced to nothing but parts and scrap. His car is scrapped and reclaimed by the war boys into a completely different thing. Like the iconic black interceptor is this silver kind of menacing little vehicle that shows up here and there. Uh, Max is reduced to a blood bag. You see him, you know, they shave him, they tattoo all this information on his back. They just string him up as a universal donor. You know, none of that is on his own terms. He's just a commodity of resources for power to use. 
And then the movie ends with him, you know, they even take his name actually like that to that. He introduces himself as Max at the start before he's captured. And then you don't hear his na- him give his name throughout the full movie until the very end when Furiosa midway through asks his name, he doesn't give his name. Like he like you can kind of see it as the the Citadel took his name from him. And then at the end the blood bag that he was at the start, this body for parts and blood and resources for somebody else to use. To save Furiosa, he performs a blood transfusion himself. He willingly does that. He walks one of the wives through helping him do that. And in reclaiming you know, his purpose, his blood, for himself, he gives his name back. He tells Furiosa, my name is Max. And that's, it's so cool. Like, it's just, there's, you know, he has this moment late earlier in the film where he goes and hunts the bullet farmer and that happens off screen. That would normally be a culmination of his character arc, this climactic moment where he goes off and hunts down this villain and takes him down on his own. And that doesn't matter. That just happens off screen because that's not what his story is about. He's not, he's not the hero. He's a protagonist reclaiming his body. And you see the same with um, Nux, uh, the Warboy Nicholas Holt plays. Uh, he starts this movie, you know, using Max as a blood bag, but wanting to die for Immortan Joe because he's been fed this propaganda about a glorious death, and you know, his life and ultimately his death isn't his own. It's a tool for um, the, you know a man in power to use. But at the end of that, at the very end of the movie, he instead of bellowing witness me and dying for Immortan Joe and Immortan Joe's uh, infrastructures of power, he looks at one of the wives, Toast. Yeah, no, Capable, not Toast. Toast is Zoe Kravitz. Um, capable. And he just points at her and whispers witness me before dying on his own terms to help people that he decided to help. It's this reclamation of the body that's, very obvious when we look at Furiosa and the wives as implied survivors of sexual assault, which is fantastically handled as well, because we can see survivors without actually having to see the things that they've survived. But mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's really cool that we get to see how you know men and masculinity are affected by these uh, infrastructures of power as well, and how this whole awful situation that we live in it doesn't just affect the women it obviously affects the women they are the you know plot of the movie furiosa is arguably the hero where max is the protagonist but it's just a really cool little detail that everybody is tied up in this everybody is hurt by this and to actually pivot to talking about the wives in furiosa i adore the way that they're handled um it's you know portrayed with res- such respect, which is obvious because they had Eve Ensler, I believe, brought on. Um, she wrote the vagina monologues. Iconic feminist. She oh, was brought yeah. on not as a yeah. um, like writer or anything, but as a consultant. So she, you know, essentially made sure everything was all good. Talked to this um, to the actresses who played the wives and uh, Charlie Thron, and kind of talked to them about these situations and gave this kind of added context to really help the performances 
And you can see that both in their performances, but also in the way that the film is written. The, you know, the ways that we see what has happened to them is never direct. Um, we see the start with Max's escape routine where he almost gets branded and then goes on his little rampage to try and break out. That cuts directly to a shot of Furiosa's back with the brand on it. And because of that, like, we don't need to see what happened to her. We can, we know what's happened because we see the same brand that they were trying to put on Max. So we know she's been through that. We can see her head has been shaved the way that they were shaving his head. She has that brand. We know that she's been through horrible abuse and we don't need to see it. And in the same way, we can see the wives. Uh, the first thing that we see, there's not really, they're not filmed, like they're attractive women, but they're not filmed to be objects of attraction. The first thing that we see of them is them rinsing off drinking water and cutting off the belts that Immort and Joe had put on them. And they are these horrendous belts and you can see the teeth and the branding on them. And it's very much shown to be an unpleasant thing and it's implied what's happened and it's further implied where we get this shot of Ang Harrod walking to Max with water. And the film doesn't linger on, well, it lingers on her body, but it lingers on her body to focus on a very pregnant belly and mm -hmm. the implications of how that came to be. And it's just this incredibly sensitive and respectful way to portray these horrible things and tell a story about surviving these horrible things without dwell, like moving to you know, dwell on these things for shock and titillation and any of that. It's, it's, it's kind of ruined a lot of movies for me in the way that you see horrible things happen to women. And it's like, I know that you're going for something with this, but I've seen Fury Road far too many times. I know you could have done that without Yeah. Without doing this. You didn't need to You didn't need yeah. to film this. Absolutely. I agree. There's um I was actually having a very uh similar conversation with my partner Tony about this. Um this was actually the other topic you were uh potentially going to talk about. This is in regards to Berserk. And um, where, as, as we know, Berserk's a very intense, trauma-filled mm. experience for our boy Guts. A lot of terrible things has happened to, to him and to a lot of the characters in the story. And at one point, I think I was just partway through the first volume. I, I can't remember for sure, but it was in Guts's backstory when he was a little boy. And oh, I had yep. to stop reading. And yeah. I looked at Tony and I was like, I can't, I, I know what they're about. I know what's about to happen. I can't, I can't continue to read this. Um, you know, like I want to finish Berserk. I think it's a good story, but it was just, it's, it's, I just can't, I can't. Mm. And it's... I was like, why, why, why did this author do this? Like there's in, in my head, like I know nothing about the author's backstory. I know nothing about why he would have put that those horrible things into the book because i understand that again guts has gone through hell and back and done that a million times like he's he's been through his share of stuff why do they have to display that um mm. and apparently there was an interview if I'm, I'm just going off of the conversation i didn't actually look up the interview but apparently the mangaka per perceived that sort of violence as the most evil thing somebody could do to you and so that's why he touched on it so much in his content was to show that the that this absolutely 
this is the god-awful worst thing you could ever do to somebody and that's why it's so impactful but uh he later on was like yeah i i I pulled back on that because it was just it was too much and i didn't really like consider that uh, that's not word for word but that's the the energy that I yeah got no from i think Tony i've seen me. the same thing though um yeah so sh- you can't bring up my other hyperfixations <laughs> oh. i'm so sorry <laughs> i'm trying but, not yeah. to talk about berserk now oh, um, no. but I, I, uh, I, I, I appreciate that fury road is able to display the same amount of like trauma and and damage and like history in such small quick moments that we can identify something's bad something bad's happened there and without uh like you said lingering it for too long or uh spending unnecessary time or even borderline accidentally glorifying it and that i appreciate so much (laughs) yeah and it it bleeds into more too there's this part parts later on in the movie with the um vuvalini the old warrior women anytime something like any violence happens to them it takes up less frames. Like it's filmed quicker and edited to be snappier than anything that happens to any of the men. Um, so the keeper of seeds, uh, who you know talks to the dag about how she's killed everyone, and then shows her the bag that she's kept with all the seed that she tries to plant and see if anything happens. When she gets hit with each a chainsaw by one of the pole cats. It's a very quick shot thing. It's incredibly snappy. You, it's a not quite a blink and you miss it thing, but it's not, you know, an explosion of gore. Even though she got a chainsaw to the neck, it's a quick shot of something bad happening and then moving on. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it's this really respectful and smart way of handling it all, which it's God. It's just such a smart movie in all of that. That's. I appreciate that so much. Absolutely. You know, even like as a chainsaw man enjoyer, like the 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 wild amounts of action and gore can be sometimes cool in a fictional setting, but for Fury mm. Road, like I feel like that's a very appropriate way to to go about it, especially cuz in times like that, like in the apocalypse times, you're constantly surrounded by death. So I don't think it's going to mm. be nearly as shocking and something that even the bystanders would linger on for too mm. long. You know what I mean? That's a, I do, I do think it's important to, you know, the movie is very smart, but it's also so fucking cool. It is just a yeah. cool movie. Like, Seriously. Like uh, there's, you know, it's filmed so bright. All of the color, like all the color just pops everywhere. You've got this wasteland of horror and it's not muted grays. It's bright yellow sands, clear blue sky roaring red flames and explosions like it's it's colorful it pops it's got a guy strapped to a moving like set of amps with a bunch of drummers on the back of it playing a guitar flamethrower like the doof wagon is the coolest fucking thing ever you <laughs> seriously get... though <laughs> yeah the it's called the doof wagon and the guitarist is called the doof warrior oh my god <laughs> that's amazing and then you've I'm got, looking at you a know, picture. That's great. The the scene in the bog where uh, the bullet farmer gets his eyes shot out and just goes in completely insane, and so it starts playing like Dyer's Ire while he screams about being the conductor of the scales of justice and just starts just 
spraying all of this like ma machine gun fire into them with no sense of safety or like responsibility it's just cool <laughs> like it's a really smart clever film with themes that i adore and have written thousands of words on but i think almost more importantly it is just the coolest piece of cinema i agree it really is i'm just dropping photos into the discord for reference material don't mind me <laughs> i'm just i'm just <laughs> staring lovingly at the doof warrior <laughs> what a man oh my goodness and like all of the action is you know to bring it back to being smart all of the action is also while cool incredibly smart as well everything has this cause and effect there's nothing that just kind of happens and isn't considered and moved on from uh you know max getting picked up by one of the polecats and then almost killed winds up on another vehicle and it just keeps moving this flow like every single moving part of this two-hour car chase of a film is thought about they know they're not doing anything for the sake of doing it something happens it has a direct cause uh, an effect that effect is in turn a cause for another effect which is in turn cause for two other effects it just everything is this incredibly considered jigsaw of bullshit incredible action and the editing makes that possible the the stunt work because you know, it's not one of those CGI things where everything happens on a green screen, nobody interacts with people. Uh, it's my turn to drop a resource in. Not in full, but just... I don't know if this is the film, the footage or not. For it. Oh, well, okay. Never mind, I'm not going to drop it. Just look up behind-the-scenes footage for Fury Road, because all of the stunts are incredible. The explosions are real. They just edit more of the cars in afterwards. The opening where we see the interceptor, the icon from the films before it, get wrecked is a real crash. They set it up so that the interceptor just full on rolls out. They just absolutely annihilate the thing, and they did it live. Like they did it. They didn't. Ed they edited things afterwards. They made it splashier. They mi mixed in the other cars, but they for real, straight up just annihilated a car for this film. And then they did it again and again and again. And they built all of them too. Like the war rig is a real vehicle that went up for auction a couple of years ago and everyone kept being like, hey Vera, hey Vera, do you want it? And I'm like, yeah, buy me the buy me the war rig, please. <laughs> gimme. Give Gimme give now. Like, yes, I like, do want it. Thank you. And Morton Joe's um, I think it's like a gigahorse, I think they called it. They took a bunch of like old hot rod looking cars and old sports cars and they t just cut them up and turned them into this monster truck. And it's it's all real vehicles, it's all real stunt work. And that's I think part of why it works is because you can have all of these parts interacting with each other in a way that you can't necessarily do with overly cgi'd things where nobody can really interact with the set because the set doesn't exist they went out to namibia and they crashed cars for a few months and it really paid off that's a hell of a gig yeah can you imagine <laughs> i mean wow. all the cast to it is phenomenal uh when i was watching it again last night 
I noticed because I noticed it every time how much Tom Hardy does with so few lines and a mask for half the movie. Like he has, you know, maybe a page of dialogue in a two hour movie. Uh, if and that's if we count all of the grunting. <laughs> right. But, there's the part where after he fights Furiosa and he, you know, steals the war rig to try and escape on his own and it doesn't work and Furiosa is trying to haggle and get the others in. And she's, you know, saying you're relying on the generosity of a very bad man, trying to appeal to his, you know, morality as well. And you can see in Tom Hardy's like face as he's acting this behind this muzzle that they've put in on him that Max as a character just is incapable of wanting, you know, incapable of not helping. Like he has to help. I think the full tradition of Mad Max from, you know, the Road Warrior through to the Thunderdome through to Fury Road is just this guy trying to survive this horrible place and just being incapable of not getting involved. Like he can't not get involved and help people out. And he doesn't say that. He doesn't tell you that he wants to help out and wants to be a good person because he's too fucked up to want to try again. But you can see in this like agonized expression as Tom Hardy, as Max refuses to look at the wives that he knows he's doing something awful and it goes against every fiber of his being. And you can just see him desperate to try and help. And it's you know, all done with no dialogue. Like there's no point where he says that he wants to help and wants to be a good person, but he can't because he's, you know, just fucked everything up for years and years and years and is now a, you know, husk of a man. But it doesn't need to be said because we can see it. We can just see his face kind of portray this turmoil of wanting to be a good person. And God, I just love this movie so fucking much. Um, Absolutely. Like, I love to, the, the plot feeds the themes. Like, we talked about the um, reclaiming the body, but there's this broader theme of hope, which was very much the focus of my thesis, of this post-apocalyptic hope where everything is awful and horrible and it has never been as bad as it is now. But that means that we, can, we are most equipped to make something better. We are at our absolute low point, and that's this kind of, uh, to steal the terms from the philosophers that I wrote about, it's this messianic time where redemption can enter, um, but it kind of de-religiousizes it by making it less a, you know, the Messiah can arrive and redeem the world in this absolute low period of time, and it's more a, things are at their absolute worst, and because of that, we can make something better now. We have the power to take this awful world that is, you know, the ashes of a not quite as awful world, but still terrible world, and now we can build something better of it. Like, you can't run away. There isn't a green place to, for the wives and Max and Nux to flee to. That's, that's long gone. All that we can do now is take what is in the world, what this horrible thing, and we can tear it down. They don't win by escaping a Morton Joe. They win by killing a Morton Joe and taking over the Citadel to make something better out of it. They, you know, it's, incredibly 
optimistic, especially given how our real world is going to hell. Like every day things get worse everywhere, but we don't have to give up on that. Even though things are horrible and you know everyone's like rights are being stripped away, the world is slowly dying. No matter what happens, we can still persevere and if we stick together and work together and help, we can all make something better. We can fix the world. Well, we can't fix the world. The world is broken irreparably. We can make a better one. I think that's really beautiful. That is very beautiful. Like you, t- you touched on one of the things that was definitely like one of the biggest like thoughts that stuck with me after this movie was just what was the hope like that? That was. I went in not expecting anything hopeful at all. I was just like, yeah, yeah it's going to be cool explosions and cars. And that that's really all I got from the trailers. I left being like. What the fuck, man? <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. And that's how it gets you, because that's the same. Yeah. I went and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be like two hours of pulp action. I'm I'm on board for it, but it's not going to leave a lasting mark on me. And I mean, in part, it is that. Like, in part, it is two hours of pulp action. Like, it's a two hour long car chase with somehow the most incredibly resonant theme. But because it's, I think it's because of that action that it can do this. Like, it can have such an impact because it you know in part doesn't pretend to be anything more than an action movie and because it isn't pretending to be more than an action movie it can just hit you with this like it can just bring you along for the ride with this no it brings more honestly it brings the themes along for the ride like you are strapped in for two hours of non-stop action and the vehicle for that action is hope yeah um, I need to admit something. Yeah. Oh. And I so we've established now uh, that I have autism, correct? <laughs> in this, in this, uh, in our friendships, I, I. So when this movie came out, um, I obviously did not know that I was autistic, and I did not realize that I struggled with like understanding people. And so there's the part of me who, in retrospect, okay, I can see that. Like, I could see where uh, the things that Max does and doesn't say leads him, leads the, the person watching to, like, realize what's happening. But I feel like I'm, t- I'm looking at 2015 Roma, and 2015 Roma probably saw the movie and did not pick up on a lot of the context. <laughs> So 2015 Roma just thinks that it was just a really fun pulp action movie. (laughs) I think in part, though, that is the beauty of it. Like I was saying, like every time I watch it, I pick up something new. Like I didn't I didn't notice the like that acting the first time or the second time or the third time. That was something that really jumped out to me, along with the um, blood tube dealie, like the last last night when I watched. That was something that really jumped out that time. Like it's. I think it's because so much has been so much thought has been put into this movie and it's filmed in such a concise and snappy way that it gives you the chance to get as much or as little out of it as you want. Uh, you can just have it as two hours of incredible, insane action, or you can 
fixate on it for god eight years now and still discover new things because there's just so much in it oh yeah um i i dropped the link in the chat or in the discord it's from vogue.com which is one of the many places i don't think you'd think would talk about mad max fury road um but it's from it's an interview with the makeup artist for the movie and uh mm. her name is Leslie Vanderwaltz she's an Australian hair and makeup designer and she was charged with bringing Mad Max Fury Road's desert wasteland to life and uh as I'm a nerd about like effects makeup and like the behind the scenes stuff I know this is a jump and I super apologize <laughs> uh no, go ahead but it's really neat as you like go through the article um obviously like this the article's more so specifically talking about Furiosa and the wives and not so much the rest of the cast of the movie but um it is interesting of the direction they decided to uh go with their like hair and makeup cuz obviously they're they're out in the middle of nowhere there is not a secret sephora underground that they have access to you know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, hmm. apparently they were literally using dust and like dirt smudge, which is very obvious in the movie. But like they had to tactfully because, you know, it's very obvious if you were to intentionally try to like do their what's the word I'm looking for where you like carve out your chin and your uh, cheekbones and stuff. The uh, Contouring. Yeah, like, you can tell if they're trying to intentionally contour, but the way that they went about it, like, simultaneously makes the actor's eyes pop, does a little bit of their contouring, but before they even did any of the dirt and dust treatment, they would just cake these bitches in fucking glow, like, highlighter, like, different colors of, like, peach, pink, orange, brown, like, highlighter, like, shiny <laughs> yeah. makeup. So they had that still, that that very, like, that glow but then just like covered it in dirt and dust and then like uh put dry shampoo and dust in their hair but uh i just thought it was like kind of neat to see the direction they went for that to make it you know to make them still seem very movie like pretty but also recognizing it's a post-apocalypse movie yeah because i mean very cool that's kind of the it's such an interesting balancing act because they are you know the wives they are the trophies of this horrible warlord so they you know there is kind of this expectation that you know, they do kind of have to be even in the post-apocalypse just beautiful but then yeah. that's tempered with the understanding that you know this is a post-apocalypse it's not going to be like as the underground sephora yeah <laughs> and then with furiosa's uh, makeup that she's got from her eyes up to her forehead. Oh, the um, grease paint. Yeah, the grease paint. Um, they put like a copper highlighter in the middle, but basically they're like, oh, uh, when they first did the look, I guess the actress was like, oh yeah, the Furiosa would definitely reapply this as war paint all the time, and just like kept it, at least according to the article, if I read it correctly. But I love to see it. I love how mm. they made it look so natural for lack of better words yeah. for the scenario no absolutely yeah that's my no, tangent 
It's a good tangent. It's God. It's so much of this movie is like it's so well considered. Like all of the costuming as well. Um. Oh. Oh no. <laughs> can oh, I? No. Can I? Can I say something stupid and funny? I love stupid and funny. Absolutely. So, 2016. Before I knew I was Vera. Uh, when I thought I was a bi man and not a queer woman, I um went to one of the my university's um orientation week parties. So we every year we'd have O Week and we'd end up with an O Week party. Um the theme for the that year was going places. And so I was like obsessed with Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Instead of going as Max or a Warboy or something like that. This bi man with man in heavy quotes grabbed bed sheets and went as one of the wives. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I got like the some goggles from a friend too, so one is capable and just had the like you know, the bed sheet cut up and turned into like a bikini, a skirt, and then a shawl. That's so perfect. <sighs> hell yeah. Oh. Abs- how could we have ever known? <laughs> egg moments. We love egg moments. Oh yeah. I mean, I uh, I just I'm having one of those like cinematic flashbacks where you ha- you have the distant gaze and just like images flashing before your face <laughs> of like all the times that I dressed in drag, and it just looked really <laughs> not like drag. You know, it was definitely just just a dude. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't drag. It was comfortable. Yep. My mom helped me pick out beard hair that looked that matched my real Heller color, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so proud." I have to. I have to do a deep dive now. I want to see if I can find this. Come on, one, please exist. Oh, I'm yep. excited. Oh dear, it's so bad, but it's so funny. There's no way this is the same person. Oh, I had Behold, those goggles. An egg. An egg. <laughs> it finally hatched. Yeah. Very cis behavior on display there. Oh, absolutely. Keep going. I'm looking for my my pictures. They're just really far back. It's been a hot minute. I'm just trying to think of what else to like dive into other than without having to like reread my thesis because I wrote that in 2017 and I do not remember half of the philosophy like in detail. I remember the the main bit is uh, Walter Benjamin, who is this in, well was this incredible thinker in early to mid um, 20th century Germany. Um, so, I don't know, do you guys know the whole current, like, neo-Nazi fixation on cultural Marxism? That whole idea of, you know, whenever they throw out those dog whistles about, oh, the cultural Marxists are ruining everything, they're taking over the world and making us think these things. There's this um, historical group of Marxist philosophers, um, predominantly Jewish, in 19 the 1920s to 30s uh called the frankfurt school Mm -hmm. and that's kind of this 
there's not really a historic basis for cultural Marxism, but this is kind of as close as it gets to that. Hmm. And it's a lot of really incredible thinkers, um, Walter Benjamin among them being my favorite. Um, he's this Jewish philosopher who wrote a lot of Marxist literature on things like uh, reconciling Jewish theology around the end of the world and the Messiah and, and Marxist historical materialism. So this idea of you know, history not as a linear series of cause and effect, but as this cascading maelstrom that it's a mountain of wreckage that is bearing down on you from the past and you can't look away from it. That's how he describes history. But he also wrote a lot about film. So for my honest thesis, I'd had to do a bit to justify the use of film as something that could do philosophy, because I was writing about Mad Max, a uh, you know, two-hour pulp action film. How I had to, <laughs> There was a bit of work that I had to do and be like, how is this doing anything about philosophy? Like, how can a two-hour pulp action film do philosophy? And so Walter Benjamin both kind of helped me justify the thesis of the piece, like this talk about hope, and also helped justify how films do philosophy. There's this really interesting analogy that he does where he talks about painting versus film in the same way that you would look at a magician and a surgeon. So the painter works on a surface level in the same way that a magician might heal somebody on a surface level. They lay hands on somebody they treat at the top level. It's very external. There's not really any depth to it. Like, there's obviously depth to painting. Like it's that not to be dismissive of painting, but it's very much a kind of surface in the terms of not in terms of like a lack of depth and nuance, but in terms of how it is engaged with like you engage with art at the surface when you make art mm -hmm. in comparison he talks about the film and editing a film as a surgeon's work where you know the surgeon cuts into the body in the same way that an editor would cut into these rolls of film and kind of make them make something more out of that and it was this really interesting kind of way to talk about film just, yeah, the editing as a surgeon was this really interesting thing that stuck with me, even though I can't remember for the life of me how the rest of that article went. Um, for reference, that was Walter Benjamin's The Work of Art in the Age of Its Mechanical Reproduction, which is from memory. Again, it's been six years since I've read it, <laughs> but it's an incredible piece. Oh, yeah. It all tracks. It honestly all tracks. Like, I mean, I, I'm not a movie director or editor, but uh, the the sentiments of it, like from the video editing I've done or some of the the, the longer video form content that I've done, it, it, it resonates correctly. Makes sense. It tracks. I think it really works, especially for Fury Road with, you know, that cause of effective action. Like you can't, you can't just kind of replicate that without really cutting into the film and really getting yourself into the like internal organs of how this movie worked. Like you can't have, you know, 
somebody get hit with a chainsaw and have it not be an over-the-top act of gore, but have it be a quick flash of violence with res- done with respect without, you know, really cutting deep into it. You can't have... There's this really cool moment uh, that... Well, two moments, I guess, because it's the same moment happening at two parts of the film where Max is watching everyone leave like they've all got their bikes and they are going out into the salt flats which is kind of implied to be the ocean like they're gonna they have 180 days of supplies they're just going to ride out into the salt and see what they can find like that's how they escape um and one of the ghosts that is haunting him this whole film this little girl that he couldn't save walks up to him casts out her hand at him and you see in this brief instance as he raises his hand to his forehead to like guard himself you see a war boy just for a frame like i think it's a single frame pointing a crossbow at him and then about half an hour later in the climactic final chase sequence max is walking towards the front of the car having just dealt with the claw trucks that had were slowing down the tr- the war rig and that same war boy pops out from underneath part of the war rig and shoots that crossbow at him. And at the same time that he does that, you see the girl again casting her hand out at him. And he raises his hand to his forehead again, as he did to defend himself in the past time. And this time he catches a crossbow bolt in his hand and, you know, doesn't get shot in the fucking head. And it's just, it's, it doesn't really Bruh. add anything in terms of thematic value, but it's just so fucking cool to just have that little, like, I missed that the first few times I watched it, and then the moment I noticed it, I was incapable of not being like, okay, okay, you've got to watch this, because it's so cool when it happens. Like, it's just such a cool little detail. That's so sick. But it's, it's great. <clears throat> One of the most dangerous things, I think, was... I. I've started accidentally describing... Oh, my God. Sorry, I had to... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be distracting, but I was like, I'm holding a whole pile in my hands. Oh, my oh God. man. <laughs> incredible. Oh, incredible that scenes. dance Gavin dance shirt, LMAO. <laughs> oh, the snapback, too. Yep. I yep. need you to recreate this look, but do the, like... Soy, soy pointing behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I the, the what? <laughs> uh, you know the uh, the reference like where it's like the two dudes pointing back at like at something. If it loads, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got you. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to recreate that look and do that. But it, the background is me pointing at my old photo. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I got you, fam. Yeah. Um, anyway, what was I going to... Oh, the most... I think the dumbest thing that's happened to me because of this movie has been the irreparable damage to my ability to drive safely that the soundtrack has inflicted. Oh no. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> it's for starters, I I was driving I went to a house party right after I watched it the first time. And the twenty minutes that it took me to get there was a struggle to drive the speed limit. 
So I just had so much adrenaline in my system that I was like, oh no, I have to, I have to drive responsibly. How, how do I, how do I drive responsibly? How do I not die historic on a mundane Newcastle road? <laughs> um, and then your best somebody, uh, somebody had the bright idea of, cause at the time I didn't have, um, my iPod or phone, mobile phone set up to play music in the car. Cause I didn't have like Bluetooth or an aux cord. I just had a CD player. Somebody bought me the Fury Road soundtrack. And that was oh, in my car. Yo. That was a very dangerous thing to have in the car because the track that plays in, well, there's so many good tracks, but the track that plays in the final kind of act is called Chapter Duff. And it is the most impossible to drive responsibly so- like to song in existence. Like you cannot drive with that song playing and not accidentally accelerate just a little bit too much. <laughs> My mom had a song that did that to her. And if she ever got pulled over, she's like, sorry, this song was playing and like turn up the volume in her car and the cop would be like, ah, yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> it's like, I get it. Though. Sorry, I get it. Sorry, officer. <laughs> Chapter Doof was playing. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> got it. Got it. Roger that. Carry on. <laughs> Also, speaking of the soundtrack, there's this, I think, it, I don't know, I don't know shit about music, but I think it's like leitmotifs or something. Is that the uh, term? I don't know. You know, like the cat little, like the bit, the bit of a, like music that kind of represents a character. Um, ah. Oh, yeah. There's one that plays a couple times throughout it for Nux that really adds to his whole character arc. Like it plays... Two big major instances where it plays is in the massive sandstorm right before he decides that he's going to fill his car, like, fill, like, the passenger and driver's seat of his car with fuel and drop a flare in it to, like, blow himself up and stop Furiosa, like, you know, his whole I'm awaited, I need to be witnessed thing. It plays just before that as he's watching this car get caught into and pulled into this sandstorm tornado you know the post-apocalyptic storm of like bright purple lightning bright red fire and watching this car get torn apart and that this part of this song plays as he's just watching it with awe and then right at the end it plays again as he realizes that he you know what he has to do in terms to save like everybody that he wants to save now, like as he decides that he's going to kill himself to stop um, Rictus, uh, Morton Joe's bulky but stupid son, and stop all the cars behind them and crash the war rig himself, and that he's not going to make it. That part, that motif plays again as he just points at Capable and whispers, "Witness me." And it's just this beautiful use of music because you've had this insane adrenaline-filled track playing and it just gives way to this dramatic part of music that you've seen before as he essentially like dies on his own terms instead of somebody else's terms and it adds so much to it. Oh, I love it when they do shit like that. The soundtrack is so good. I, the amount of horrible movies I have watched because Junkie XL has done the soundtrack 
it's bad. <laughs> uh, well, not necessarily horrible movies. Like, I think I was watching Godzilla vs. Kong, actually, and I kept getting distracted because the drum, like the drums in the soundtrack, I'm like, oh, these are Mad Max drums. Hang on a second. Oops. Hell yeah. I got, I didn't hate that movie, but I got way more into that movie because I recognized the soundtrack from Fury Road because of the fucking drums. Honestly, uh, I have, there was a TV show. I was watching One Piece. One Piece had the instant transmission noise from Dragon Ball Z in it at one point for somebody's attack, and it gave me... I My neck snapped so hard. I was so confused. <laughs> that, is, that is the closest I can get to that emotion, but... No, yeah, you just triggered you, a, a memory. <laughs> Sometimes I get that where something from some other audio will use, like the Dark Souls parry sound effect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will just have, like, a flight-or-fight response. Like, well, it's it's my partner's uh, text tone, the instant <laughs> transmission as well. So it was the double combo of Dragon Ball Z. Well, Tony's not supposed to be here. Uh, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Your body just took a screenshot. <laughs> it did. It absolutely did. Gosh. Mad Max Fury Road is kind of buck wild, actually. It's insane. It. I'm I'm really glad that that you uh let me talk about it because it gave me an excuse to watch it again and it's yeah, like it's been a year like it was hard to watch it in 2018 because I had watched it 20 like 20 odd times the year before it mm-hmm. but now it's you know gone from a movie that I love and am obsessed with to a movie I watched academically to a movie that now I you know still love and am obsessed with but I can just revisit from time to time and just fall in love with it every single time God, it's so good. I need to go rewatch it now with my with my adult eyes. Honestly, Sam, Absolutely. that's what I was about to say. Good. I <laughs> every every time I remember it exists, I assign it as homework to to people. Like, <laughs> look, I'm captain. I'm captain of my quad ball team. I'm allowed to tell them to go and watch the movie because I need them to know how to be dickhead adrenaline junkies on field. <laughs> it's like go watch this movie learn how to inflict violence on people because if you right. do something good i am going to be screaming witness at you on the sidelines and i need you to know what i mean and you know that just builds teamwork it just builds that camaraderie mm. is it problematic that i use the uh <laughs> that i use the death cult terminology no it's it's great it's i'm too iconic to be problematic iconic it's fine Absolutely. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, how many more times do you think you're going to watch this movie in your life? Um, hmm. Let's see. Honestly, um, as many times as I need to to make sure that everybody that I know has seen it. <laughs> it's like it's a, <laughs> I'll watch it. I'll watch it again of my own at my own pleasure. But at the same time, it's absolutely a movie that I now more watch to bless others with than to watch for my own sake. It's like a, um, I had a friend visiting from overseas last year and we made time to make sure that I could show her Fury Road. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, so it's essentially anytime anyone is going to be visiting me, if they haven't seen this movie, 
They're going to. <laughs> it's a threat, a promise, and a warning. <laughs> so you go to like one of those websites where you could buy things in bulk, and you just get a bulk purchase of Mad Max Fury Road DVD sets, and then you just wrap that up and mail that to everybody for Christmas. <laughs> I don't know if you celebrate Christmas. That's fine if you don't. It's just a good time to mail out <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road to everybody you know. <laughs> just merry occasion. Uh, if you don't watch this, I will, I will be in your walls. <laughs> oh my god uh, this podcast releases months go by it's december now i get a package in the mail it's from vera <laughs> and i just know <laughs> you're like i'll watch that in, in a couple of days then you just hear like scratching on your wall <laughs> suspiciously a like picture on your wall now has moving eyes. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh my goodness. The lightning strikes outside and I see flashes of Vera's face in my window. <laughs> you go somewhere and I like do the dis- I'm, you, you think you see me. A bus goes past. There's no one there. <laughs> but suddenly at your feet there's a copy of Mad Max Fury Road on Blu-ray. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fury they just keep showing. Gives me slapstick slash horror movie powers. <laughs> they just keep you showing get, up. It gives you tune physics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Send an article to a medical journal. Mad Max Fury Road gave me cartoon physics. You know, I that feel like that would be a great Twitter trend. You know how it's like a uh, quote retweet with like the year. Whatever yeah. X item, it's a quote retweet. Uh, what what media gives you tune physics? <laughs> <laughs> somebody somebody paints a um like a tunnel into the side of the wall, and I can drive through it because I've spray paste spray painted my face with chrome. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> 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 phenomenal oh i'm already daydreaming about the thumbnail for this episode this is gonna be buck wild oh it's gonna be fun i cannot wait it's gonna be rent free in my brain the moment i see it oh my goodness i'm so excited for these colors too i'm just gonna color pick from the mad max uh posters it's gonna be good god it's such a good color palette. Like every time I see a movie that just has like gray things and grayscale, everyone like this is boring. Right? Give me, give me bright. Give me like obnoxiously everywhere colors. It can be cool and pretty. Yeah. Exactly. I think my taste in movies is just ADHD uh, with like you know? themes. Because like my two favorite movies at the moment. 2015 cinematic masterpiece Mad Max Fury Road and Everything Everywhere All at Once. And there's I haven't nothing seen that. You should go watch it. We're not, I'm not going to start talking about it, but like it's insane that there are just two movies that are so completely different, but at the same time, they are both movies with incredible thematic ref- resonance where so much stupid thing, stupid over-the-top action happens throughout like the whole runtime. Like just... 
overwhelmingly intense movies into where just so much is happening with phenomenal themes. That's my taste. That's my type. And I'd have two <laughs> nickels for it. <laughs> Honestly, good shouts. I, I, I do agree. My taste in my taste in music is also ADHD. It's whatever the music can like punch me in my entire nervous system, so I stay awake. <laughs> Just the as fast as it possibly can go. Yeah, I feel that. My car needs to vibrate. I can, I should not be able to see out of my rearview mirror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Remo, what kind of music do you listen to? Loud. Oh boy. Loud. <laughs> Fast. Loud. <laughs> I listen to... <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, hold up. Let me pull up my Spotify real quick. <laughs> I have a playlist literally called Loud. That's amazing. So I just describe my music taste as no. <laughs> I used because I used to be really pretentious and only listen to like '90s and like early 2000s alt rock, like Pearl Jam and Nirvana, Rise Against that kind of shit. And I was super pretentious about it. And I went to uni. I was like, oh, I could just listen to music that I like. <laughs> yeah, right. And then I just kind of stopped having taste, or like in the sense of like a consistent genre. I'm like, yeah, if the song's good, the song's good. So now I have my like playlist that is just I call it my it's called Big Gay Driving Playlist. Hell yeah. Let's have a look. It's thirty hours and four hundred and fifty songs. And it is a absolute roulette. Like it'll go from bullshit anime opening to like sad girl guitar and Mitski. To like Electro Swing, to Childish Gambino, to Daft Punk, to Brockhampton, to Mad Max Fury Road, to Queens of the Stone Age. It's it's all over. Oh, the Queens of the Stone Age! Ah. I I do not have taste in music anymore, and it's quite possibly one of the better decisions I've made. It's liberating. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the playlist that is called Blah. <laughs> uh, it's called Blah, and it's mostly just um loud. Uh there's a lot of loud. And the, the lower you go, I think it gets from loud to just fast, and then it gets kind of funky. It gets kind of like, it's kind of a little and funky. I can towards the end of it. Funky. Yeah, there's uh Yep. You don't have you. to listen to it. It's not good. My playlist is not good. Don't listen to it. <laughs> it's just Similarly, <laughs> I will bestow upon you nonsense. Big gay driving playlist. Jakey, where's your where's your playlist for the car? I'm really boring and I don't make a playlist. I just let Spotify auto generate one for me. Oh my god. I make gosh. too many playlists at this point. I used to have character playlists. Now I've got like vibe checks um, for different moods that I'm in. It's like I've got um, just a house ambient because I live in my own place now. I've got my own house so I can just have music playing around the house. So I've got a playlist for like songs that are good, but they're not overwhelming that I'm going to be distracted by. They're just songs that are good to have in the background when guests are over to just, you know, have background noise while chatting. I've got songs that are like good i've got vibe, a vibe check for dance jam so like if i'm at a party i want to just 
dance around and be an idiot. Got a playlist for that. I got um a, my I think my favorite one I've called Vibe Check Summer Roads. And it's for that kind of mood where you're like, you know, it's a nice summer afternoon. You're in a car with the windows down with your friends and you're driving to the beach. Yeah. And I just made a playlist that fits that vibe. And here in Florida, that playlist is just country music for a lot of Floridians. And it really upset me. But then again, it's the vibe. So there's a part of me that's like, I'm not into country. I'm not into stadium country. But gosh, it is a vibe. (laughs) Mine was mostly like, honestly, a lot of 90s music. Um, So it was like, you know, Steal My Sunshine by Len or Semi-Charmed Life. Yeah. Yeah, so I just I just went through like my entire Spotify library. The only time I've ever like made a playlist is just to like organize songs because they're <laughs> like I want all of a band's music, but they have them all like in like two or three song EPs and I just want to play everything. So I'll just right. put like oh my God. all of this. I Wait. have not actually made an actual playlist before. I have so many goddamn playlists. Um, I know that we have just gone on the wildest fucking tangent I think this podcast has ever seen. (laughs) Um, But I will say my playlists, I have playlists for vibes. I have playlists for years and years of running events. So I have like event playlists that are themed. And then I have playlists for my characters and tabletop RPGs. Oh yeah, um, we we love some character playlists, and then just a lot of them that kind of it same, with the same energy as blah. There's ah loud, ooh woo, like they're they're just energies. <laughs> I've just had to put one track in there to just so that we can still be vaguely on topic about music. I've put Chapter Duff in the in the chat in the Perfect. channel. God, it's a good track. The one I just shared. Is all of the songs that you could get as free downloads if you played the Bionicle Arg? What? <laughs> yeah, well, Bionicle okay. then Arg, and um, the prize were MP3s that you could download to your computer. So I just went and made a playlist of all of them. Can we uh, can we go on the wildest of tangents here and just all agree that the songs that Bionicle used in their trailers fucking slapped? I haven't seen the Bionicle trailers, but I will agree with you nonetheless. Bionicle never missed. Bionicle never missed. Except for, you know, that time that they lost the All-American Rejects for a little while. But I mean, like, we found them. They, they did lose them. But we found them, so it's okay. They lost them? How do you lose the All-American Rejects? Lose- the bad guys what kidnapped you- them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the bad guys kidnapped the All-American Rejects. Is that and why Move Along was playing in one of the trailers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize. I just yeah, they, had, they had a whole thing where... <laughs> <laughs> that was that was part of that arg that I was talking about that playlist for, and I don't think any of the MP3s on this list are... Um, all American rejects, actually. Oh, the Which living is very... end is on it. We love the living end. 
Some iconic Australian music. Hell yeah. <laughs> God, incredible. <laughs> um, we went on one hell of a fucking tangent. Yeah, we sure did. Whoops. <laughs> uh, do we have any closing thoughts on Mad Max Fury Road? Um, it's really good. Go watch it. <laughs> and then watch it again. Listener, listener uh, goes to take out their earbuds at the end of this episode, and they look to their left. Nothing's there. They look to their right, and there is a, a, a small breeze, and they notice a perfectly wrapped package of Mad Max Fury Road on Blu-ray DVD. It's, it's that fucking Shia LaBeouf song, but it's just me making people watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like a good time, honestly. God, I wish I had anything resembling movie talent, music talent. I want to make that song so bad. <laughs> I agree. Oh. Okay, yeah, so everyone's homework tonight. Uh, Vera already did their homework, so we, are, uh, we all have to watch Mad Max Fury Road. Um, extra credit, you get in the Discord and you talk about your experience with Mad Max Fury Road. Um, if you do both of those things, you get a gold star. God, That's we love it. gold stars. Gold star. Um, is it time to do the outros? Do we feel good? Do we want to? Do we want to touch on anything else? I think we feel good. Yeah, I, think I think that good. sounds about right. We feel good. All right, Vera. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, I am idiot Vera on most things. Um, Twitter, Twitch, Patreon. Um, hopefully I should be having things for sale on Amazon, but I have no idea what that's going to be put under other than sideways. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll announce it, put a link and stuff when the time comes. We'll retweet it. We'll post it. Yeah. It'll be around. You'll know. You'll know. Yeah. Idiot Vera is my app on most social media. And then do you still stream on Twitch? Um, at the moment, I'm in a fight with Australian internet to be able to, but hopefully. Hell yeah. We look yeah, forward Twitch, to it. Twitter. I'm around. I'm places. Hell yeah. Eagle noise. Um, Jakey, where can uh, people find you on the internet? You can find me at the twitters.com and most other social medias at Mr. Jakey Poo. Um, you can also catch me over on the Redacted Media YouTube channel talking about the Dark Tower books by Stephen King. Hell yeah. Ah! I tried to do an eagle noise. <laughs> I thought that's what happened. It cut out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I think Discord decided, mm, no. <laughs> yeah, that's my life. Um, you can find... Wait, can I? Wait, is it my turn now? It's your turn now. It's my yeah, turn Rama, now. Where can we find you? <gasps> you can find me on the internet at I appreciate your butt at the twitter.com. That is I A P P R E C I, the number eight, U R B U T T, where I will not shut the fuck up. Um, unlike my TikTok, where I don't post on my personal TikTok very much. Um, but you can find this podcast as a whole on the internet. Um, we pre-recorded that atro bit, so I'm just going to insert that here. 
thank you to Offuscate at O-F-U-S-K-A-T-E for the intro and outro music. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. And also thank you to the Moonshot Network. You can find them at twitch.tv forward slash Moonshot Network, twitter.com forward slash Moonshot Pods, or you can support them on Patreon and all the podcasts in the network at patreon.com forward slash Moonshot Network. Our patrons for this month who get a shout out on the podcast are Ver, Becky Scott Fairley, Ken, and Flo. Thank you so much for y'all's support and keep being awesome. Fuck it, I love you guys. <laughs> nope. But, <laughs> um, thank you for listening, everyone. Be safe. Don't die. Drink your water. Watch Mad Max Fury Road. And witness me. Hello, oh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> 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 Goodbye. <laughs> This April, the Moonshot Podcast Network is doing something new, unparalleled, something nobody has done before. We're asking you for money. This month is the first ever Moonshot Patreon drive. Between April 1st and 30th, we're hoping to bring in 30 new and upgrading patrons to patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork. That's one per day. The money we make on Patreon is what helps our podcasters get things like new mics, show art, and music. It also helps us put on our bigger streaming events, advertise our shows, and think even bigger. If you know us, you know we like to think bigger. Join the Patreon in April and you'll get a bunch of drive-exclusive new podcasts, including actual plays, improv comedy, and a roundtable show with some of the hosts of our book talk shows, like Three Little Words and Kahooligans. $5 Patreons get to join us for a game night on our Minecraft server on April 7th, where we take down the Ender Dragon together. You hate that guy, so do we. Help us kill him. You'll also get access to all of our usual monthly output, like Once Missed Wonders, early episodes of Champs in the Making, and more. So please join us or upgrade with us today on Patreon for $1, $3, or $5 at patreon.com slash Moonshot Network. Visit us on Patreon or at Moonshot Pods on Twitter for more details about the drive. Patreon.com slash Moonshot Network.